0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group for this special Monday, December 20th, 2021 edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, the tornadoes that have affected uh, much of the south and uh, Midwest parts of the area over the last few weeks. And specifically tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, Kentucky and Arkansas. Uh, tennessee missouri that area that's been hit so hard by tornadoes um this event happened december 10th through 11th and i'll go ahead and say that we're going to give you some numbers here but these are all tentative uh they're still um, national weather service offices are still out in the uh, the field Uh, conducting damage surveys. So not all of these are confirmed numbers yet. Uh, We could see some changes. In fact, we've seen changes today already. Uh, But during this event, uh, 68 confirmed tornadoes so far occurred in a nine-state area. And uh, of those, two of them were EF4 tornadoes, uh, the two long-track tornadoes uh, that traveled through Arkansas, parts of Tennessee, and then into Kentucky. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. Uh, We have a bunch of guests on with us at connections and ties to Kentucky uh but also have been in the field there uh with disaster recovery and storm chasing so a lot of uh, unique perspectives tonight but a little bit about um this 68 confirmed tornadoes two EF4 tornadoes six EF3 uh 15 EF2 28 EF1s and 15 EF0 tornadoes and actually one EF unknown uh this occurred in Arkansas where um storm chasers were able to capture a tornado on video but uh, heard over open farmland so no real damage to survey so that's the ef zero uh, single deadliest december tornado tornado outbreak known um, in the united states with 93 deaths according to abc news as of this evening 75 of those deaths coming in kentucky Uh, Two major tornadoes, uh, the EF4 that you've all seen by now on TV and on social media, uh, that affected Dawson Springs, Mayfield portions uh, in, in that area, Kentucky, an EF4 with maximum winds of 190 miles per hour on the ground for 166 miles for a little over three hours. So um, just a deadly, uh, devastating situation in Kentucky with that tornado. And also an EF4 tornado occurred in portions of Arkansas and Tennessee on the ground for 90 minutes for over 81 miles. And then another substantial tornado in the Bowling Green, Kentucky area, kind of a a metropolitan area. Uh, EF3 was 16. so a lot of these uh, tornadoes hitting populated areas in Kentucky uh, at night, which made them extremely dangerous. In fact, Amazon, one of the areas hit by that, they had a facility hit in Illinois, a candle factory in Kentucky and also a nursing home in Arkansas, all uh, with some damage from these tornadoes. So just a very, um, a very unfortunate situation. Uh, unfolded on December 10th and 11th. And so we wanted to do this show, kind of let everybody catch the breath. That's why we didn't do this last week. We wanted to kind of let everyone, um, you know, just, just take a, a deep breath and, and kind of resonate over what happened. So uh, tonight we're happy to have with us uh, Andrew Dockery, who is a morning meteorologist at WMBF in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, Andrew, uh, friend of the show, we appreciate you joining us tonight. We'll start with you. Um, You graduated at Western Kentucky University, have friends and family there. Uh, I know not in your immediate market now, but uh, just kind of give us some thoughts about uh, what we saw happen on December 10th and 11th.
1: Yeah. uh, First of all, thanks for having us, Scotty. Thanks for having us, everyone here at Carolina Weather Group. Uh, I have to say, um, I think I can speak for all of us that are here tonight. Uh, We absolutely love weather. Um, but we we can't stand what happened. Um, when you think back to this, and that's not just you know in Kentucky. That's all across Arkansas. That's across Tennessee, where everything happened. Um, Bowling Green was my first TV market. It was where I met my wife. It was where uh, we actually you know got to um, enjoy a good four to five years there in that town. Of course, we still have family. I'm from the Louisville area. Uh, my wife is from um, Lexington, and we met in Bowling Green and. Um, to wake up, actually, to some of the images of places you remember and you see and see a state that had been completely destroyed um, was something that I think I don't think any of us thought um, would be, at least me, per se, uh, would be the case. I was looking at some of the stuff, the Morning Gov, everything looked a little bit further to the West, out in Western Kentucky. And you always know that there's going to be something, especially when you look at the model data coming in that morning, uh, that ever parameter there was saying, hey, this is going to be a severe weather and a tornado outbreak. Um, but to see that in a place, you know, so well, uh, it just hits differently, uh, especially someone who loves the weather uh, and just loves that town. So uh, it's still tough to see. And uh, Kentucky is going to need a lot of help, not only in these next couple of weeks, but in months and even years to come.
2: Yeah, Andrew, definitely a scary situation there for sure. And I imagine a a scary situation to wake up to and to see in these places that you've known and and loved and spent so much of your life there. I know you talked about you spent a lot of time in Bowling Green, where Western Kentucky is. You went to school there and studied meteorology there. And I know you and your wife are both from Kentucky and you met your wife there. Um, You both live in Myrtle Beach now. But what's it like? Did you have any impacts to your family or anybody you know in and around that area? Have you talked to any of them? and, And how has it directly affected you and the people you know?
1: Yeah, uh, D- Dylan, great question. And I will say too, you know, I would say younger Andrew would have stayed up all night watching this. Uh, when you're a morning meteorologist, bedtime is 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Uh, so I went to bed and, and Ryan Vaughn, one of, uh, one of my good friends was tracking, um, you know, tornadoes out in Arkansas. So, I mean, that's when I went to bed. I woke up to text, to missed calls, to tweets. To push alerts from places back home, and I didn't really, didn't really know what was going on. I was, I was planning a normal Saturday. Was going to go out for a quick run. Um, woke up at three a.m. and from three a.m. to eight a.m. I was absolutely just glued to the phone, glued to the TV, as I'm sure a lot of us in this room were. Um, what I didn't realize though is when I woke up, the Bowling Green, Kentucky damage for us. Wasn't apparent just yet. Uh, you have to think this hit at 3 a.m. roughly uh, our time here in Eastern uh, time zone. So in Bowling Green, we're talking 2 a.m. Um, and it's completely dark. Uh, you know, I was looking at some of the uh, the footage from BKO, a sister station of us down there. Um, Shane Hollandy was talking about where that rotation was. And I didn't really know the extent of the damage. I saw what was happening in Mayfield. Um, And I knew it could be just as bad in Bowling Green. Um, So I went out, went for a quick run, and then I started to see some of the damage of the sunrise photos. And I said, "Okay, something's not right here. I need to go start making calls. And we were making calls. Turned out to be that my wife's grandma um, was about three fourths of a mile to a mile away from one of the two tornadoes there in Bowling Green. Um, she's safe. You go a couple streets down, everything's completely ruined. Um, But it was different for us because we were so far away trying to get a hold of everyone. I remember not being able to get a hold of people um, right away just because there was the lack of self-service in Bowling Green in some spots. So uh, thankfully for us, everyone is safe. Uh, That is the most important thing. Um, Emily's grandma is actually uh, with her family in Lexington right now, as power is still being restored in a lot of those areas. Um, so we're lucky and we're fortunate, but to not, um, just to think of not being so lucky and the ones that aren't, um, especially in the holiday season, the timing of this, uh, I think that's what really breaks all of our hearts at this point.
0: Andrea, I want to get a little into personal, uh, crazy how things work. Myself, you, Dylan, yeah. we all uh, got together that Saturday morning at a coffee shop just outside of Myrtle Beach. And uh, we were just kind of reflecting off of uh, what had happened the night before. And we had this conversation I'd like to bring up now. And we were talking about the outlooks and how this was a moderate outlook and how as meteorologists, as you are broadcasting, as all of us uh, in this field, we convey this information out to folks. In the back of my and of our mind, we know worst, We know the worst case, which obviously happened. But most of the time, you know, we don't see these monstrous tornadoes. But you know, this was kind of that one percent. So uh, we also talked about how they occurred at nighttime in the wintertime. So I guess what what my question is kind of that discussion we were having as a, a broadcast meteorologist um, that has ties to this area. You know, as we see more severe weather approaching, you know, do you think is that it's key that we point back at this event and say, hey, this could happen on our next severe weather day?
1: Yeah, Scotty, I think that's a really good point. Um, And I think it's a it's a good example of being in the broadcast industry. Um, You don't want to overhype a situation, but you also want to sound as urgent as possible when the time comes. And I will just go ahead and say kudos to everyone Um, that covered this event from Louisville to Lexington to Bowling Green to Arkansas to Paducah. Um, Some of the coverage back in just Kentucky alone was some of the best coverage I have seen. Lead times ahead of warnings, just fantastic stuff. I will say after I left Bowling Green, I think a good example here, Scotty, that goes so well with this, um, after I left Bowling Green, I moved to a market in Eastern Kentucky. It was there for uh, three years. And it, ironically, it was an area that was ravaged by the March 2nd tornado outbreak. And if you think back to that, that was in West Liberty in Sayersville, Kentucky. And ever since that outbreak, everyone in Eastern Kentucky takes a tornado warning as serious as possible. Um, it's kind of what I would think um, hurricane warnings, right? We were talking about this the day after this happened. You know, we say a hurricane warning to the public and everyone's going to be all eyes, all attention. What do I need to do? Do I need to get my water? Do I need to get my thing? But what's what's a little concerning to me, and I think this is going to change in Kentucky, especially after this event, is um, I don't think tornado warnings were taken as seriously. Um, And that's not just Kentucky. That's an area wide thing here. And I think it is because sometimes, you know, tornado warnings happen but you don't see the effect. But this event right here is where all the pieces come together. And unfortunately it's one of those events that I think people are going to be like, okay, Hey, there's a tornado warning. I should probably not go shop. I should probably get indoors. Um, even a severe thunderstorm warning. Uh, we were talking about this around the family table the other night. How many times have you been out in a severe thunderstorm warning or a tornado warning in your area? And you're just nonchalantly out and about. I think events like this, unfortunately, will help us. Um, But unfortunately, it's sad that it has to take an event like this to change the culture of that.
0: Definitely. So Andrew, uh, we know you got to get to bed. You got a a morning shift tomorrow. So we appreciate your time. I want to give you opportunity uh, for our folks who are watching tonight who may uh, find themselves in the Myrtle Beach area uh, at any time. How can they follow you on social?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun. You can follow me on Andrew WMBF Keep it very simple on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook, just meteorologist Andrew Dockery. Hope to uh, hear from you all. And of course, y'all keep up the great work here. This is awesome. Good to have it.
0: Thank you, Andrew. We're, we're happy to hear that all your family and, and friends are, are good. So I'm um, very thankful to hear that. Uh, as you're watching tonight, there is a ticker on the bottom. And with that is showing you ways that you can help uh, by donating to the American Red Cross Salvation Army. So be sure to uh, watch that. Uh, but we are going to go to a little break right now. We're going to be talking about how FEMA responds to events like this with uh, previous guest, Michael Lowry.
3: But in terms of the... Um the weather impacts we do have a we have a group within our um, uh, 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 building that uh, that specifically is dedicated toward determining whether or not we would need to activate um, for a certain disaster and it's it's not it's not really a cut and dry thing it's not simply based on you know if we expect a big um, i mean typically if there's a big tornado outbreak we'll uh, expect it will be activated But for uh, tropical cyclones, for example, it's not based on wind alone. We kind of look at it in its its entirety, what the potential impacts would be. And then also it depends on the states. Uh, Some states uh, uh, kind of look to the federal government for support. And sometimes, you know, depending on the state, they may have what they need to um, support the disaster. And they say, you know, we don't uh, we're not. seeing that our resources are going to be tapped or that we're our capabilities may be exceeded. So we're not going to need the support from FEMA. So we kind of stand down in terms of a a FEMA response. um, You know, there's there's different layers of response, I guess, if you will. There's um, there is the, the the traditional Stafford Act presidential dis, uh, disaster declaration, uh, in which case there is a um, following a disaster there is a uh, what they call preliminary damage assessment. So we go out and we look at so what is the the damage that occurred, um, uh, and then the the states decide, the governor of the states decide whether or not they want to request for disaster assistance. That is then um, sent through FEMA and a recommendation is sent to the president. And then the disaster is, um, you know, if, if the recommendation is made and the president declares the disaster, then that sort of opens a spigot, if you will, for federal monies to begin to flow to the state. Not just, you know, not just the money, but the, the stuff and the resources and the teams and that sort of thing.
2: All right. After that short break, we're back here at the Carolina Weather Group continuing our special live discussion on the December 10th and 11th tornado outbreaks in the south and parts of the Midwest. We'll bring in another one of our special guests tonight, meteorologist Bryce Jones, Mississippi State alum and weekend morning and weekday midday meteorologist at WDRB Fox in Louisville, Kentucky. His market covers parts of southern Indiana and central Kentucky. And Bryce... This long-track supercell over western Kentucky, parts of northeastern Arkansas, tracked for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And you were live on air that night covering these storms and the tornadoes. I imagine a lot of pressure on you to keep viewers safe watching these storms come. And the storm started off to your west. So what's it like watching this long-track supercell produce these violent tornadoes for hundreds and hundreds of miles? Mayfield, not in your market, but to the west as this storm moves closer, what's it like for you watching on air, waiting to prepare these viewers for hopefully, and hopefully not, but could come into your market.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of surreal. It really is. Um, I went into the station at about one o'clock. I worked the prior uh, midday show went home set for a couple of hours and I woke up and, uh, much like the rest of us, of course, we were watching it on radar and, um, I saw the supercell. Um, I didn't see the supercell that went through Arkansas until it almost was at Mayfield. Um, and then I watched it go through Mayfield um, on my phone. And I mean, the first thing you you think of when you see a supercell like that and just a hook and a debris ball like that, it's just like destruction is, is happening right now. And it's hard to look at that image and process in your mind that people's lives are being affected, potentially lost. Um, across that community. And we watched that track all the way into our viewing area eventually um, into our Western counties here, Breckenridge County. Um, So by the time I got in at about one o'clock, that was still moving um, into our area and was finally fizzling out a little bit before it got to Jefferson County where Louisville is. Um, So that was the first one that we dealt with. And then we had about a 10 minute kind of break where everything was canceled. There weren't any warnings. And then we had some more uh, come into the viewing area because we were watching what was happening in Bowling Green and we were watching, you know, multiple areas of rotation, two to three of them. We saw, uh, you know, we saw the debris on radar and on correlation coefficient and, uh, you know, it was going through populated town. It was going through Bowling Green. I know people that live there. I know people that go to school there. Um, I mean, I've been there countless times. I grew up here uh, in Louisville and was fortunate to come back. Um, so my roots are here too, and across the state. So, uh, you know, you see these severe weather outbreaks and we haven't had one like this here since the, uh, 74 outbreak. So, I mean, it's, it's been a long time, but once again, I think that since it's been such a long time, the way the public perceives it is different. Uh, you know, every, every spring, yeah, you have a tornado risk. Okay. And then through the public's eye, especially here, you don't have those long track tornadoes here as often uh, see you do in Mississippi or Alabama or Oklahoma. Um, it's kind of getting that process of, Oh, it's not going to hit my house. I don't have to worry about it. I'll go to sleep. I think this was kind of, um, an unfortunate kind of wake up call for, uh, for many people around the state. And as that moved into Hart and Taylor County in our viewing area, we were tracking that live and that ended up, unfortunately causing a few people to lose their lives. Um, but uh, just graduating college last year, I worked in Tupelo, Mississippi, and covered some tornado outbreaks. Um, but never really anything like what occurred a couple weeks ago, uh, live at least. So this was kind of like a big um, first for me in the terms of people really being affected and uh, costing people's lives. We interviewed people, and I've gotten countless emails of um, people emailing me, you know, thanking me for thinking us on the team that they're alive and that we had plenty of lead time. Um, And that was kind of the tricky part is I knew a lot of people were awake um, because a lot of people had seen what had happened in Mayfield and Bowling Green beforehand. Uh, So a lot of people were up watching and we tried to give as much lead time as they could. Um, So, I mean, once we saw it was doing damage in the viewing area too, it's, uh, it's tough. And growing up here in the state and the love you have for the state, it's tough as well. Um, cuz the last big big tornado we had was back in 2012 um, back in Henryville so
0: right that's a good point um, i saw that email that you shared on on social mm-hmm. media um, so i want you're talking about graduate mississippi state you know in kentucky so I would assume this is kind of like the big, big first major, big, big event that you've had to cover. Um, so talk us a little bit about that. I mean, what was it like, uh, going into that day? I'm sure you guys were all having staff meetings and things like that, but, uh, what was it like doing that coverage and knowing that, Hey man, people are listening and, and taking my advice. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. You guys did it really well because of the responses you got, but just talk us a little bit about that.
4: Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of surreal. Um, I mean, I, I covered a couple of tornado warnings, you know, in college when I was live on air, but, uh, you know, it was, it's, it was, of course it was nothing like this. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, a lot of meteorologists I can probably speak for all of us here and broadcast meteorologists in general, uh, like tracking severe weather in the terms of it's kind of our passion. You know, we like doing it. We love looking at radar imagery. So it, uh, gets your adrenaline pumping. Um, uh, and I got that from chasing in college and now it's kind of transferred into covering on air um here at home. And the fact that I'm in my home state and I know a lot of all my family's here. I have a ton of friends here that I grew up with my whole life. You know, they're watching. I know a lot of people are watching. And uh once I saw the damage that it was doing and it had already done, uh, the pressure got even larger. But you know, if when you're on air, you have to keep your cool. Even even when you see a debris ball, all of us we had we had four meteorologists covering that night, and as soon as we saw the debris ball pop up um, in Hart and Taylor County, Kentucky, we all stopped for a second and looked at each other with the same look on our face. Um, but when conveying that to the public, you have to have a serious tone, but you can't freak out and freak them out. You have to just let them know what they have to do. You know, tell them where they need to go and how serious a situation it is. So, um, it was kind of surreal seeing the feedback, especially, um, I had never received a thing like that until this event. Um, so it was a really, uh, it's really mentally, uh, an emotionally tough day, uh, and tough weekend. Um, not just for me, our whole staff and, um, the co- a bunch of communities around the state in general. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure, but I mean, it's, uh, it's what it's what we live for we like we like doing this and uh i like um doing that and knowing that it was it was a real uh a real kind of get up to me that uh we got a bunch of emails saying that uh you know we save these people's lives because that's that's a big reason why we do it too and um and their appreciation to you is is a really big deal so appreciate it
2: bryce we here on this panel we definitely appreciate what you do for others and the coverage that you provided that night we know you saved lives and and did a good job to help warn people and prevent further damage and destruction and death in the path of these dangerous tornadoes that night. We'll keep it short. Sure. We know you have other things to do and um, other obligations and places to be at. But we really appreciate you being on here at the Carolina Weather Group and giving us your perspective that night, the tornado outbreak. Um, at this time, we'll ask if there's a, a social media handle or a way that people can follow you or follow you along with what you do in the weather enterprise. And that is...
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me out the way. You guys are awesome. I've watched your previous shows before. Um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter. It's just at Bryce Jones WX. And then it's the same thing for Facebook. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find me.
2: <laughs> awesome, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Right. We'll let Thank you go. Thank you guys for having me. Have a good one. Thank you.
0: Yes, we certainly appreciate that as uh, we continue the show tonight, I want to keep your attention to the bottom of the screen. There's a ticker and on that ticker, uh, there's numerous ways you can be helping uh, the folks in Kentucky and all of the areas hit by these tornadoes, Samaritan's Purse, American Red Cross, uh, Salvation Army, all some good outlets that you can be helping out. So uh, we're going to go to break. And with this break, uh, the National Guard Army in the area doing some uh, cleanup efforts, We're gonna listen to one of the uh, uh, Army folks who are on the ground right now and what he's seen.
5: Uh, My primary mission as of right now is, uh, we came in with six dump trucks and one uh, I-HEMI. And basically, we're, we're helping assist with clearing the roads. It's, it's important as far as being able to get transportation through between search, search and rescue, being able to get them in and, and help with whatever it needs to be, as well as getting supplies in and to the, uh, the rest of the community. I feel, like, uh, I feel like we're really helping out here. It's a
6: job that might not seem so important, you know, people passing by or whatever, but uh, it, it has to be done. Somebody has to do it. Um, It's it's one of those jobs that that like I said it it doesn't seem as important when you're doing it But it really makes a big impact
5: in the long run. I would just like everybody to keep keep this community and all the communities impacted by these So it's it's devastating lots of people lost their homes.
6: They lost everything that's close to Christmas Um, You know possessions can be replaced, but you know people can't and I just would like everybody to keep everybody in their prayers
0: all right, so uh, some good work that they are doing there. I want to bring in our next guest, Chandler Pruitt, a meteorology student at Florida State. Chandler's been on our show several times. Uh, and honestly, Chandler was the inspiration behind this story. He uh, sent me a text message um, a couple of days after the event. He's like, hey, you're going to do something about this. And we're like, well, we're thinking about it. And, and so Chandler kind of really pushed us into, into the next level here. And Chandler, you have a, a unique story uh, with this tornado as um, you know, Mayfield kind of epicenter for a lot of uh, the tragedy and a lot of uh, the damage done by this tornado. And you actually have some family there. So tell us a little bit about um, the experience over the last week or so uh, with with your family being there.
7: Well, um, yeah. uh, So my family, uh, most of my family is from Western Kentucky and a lot um, specifically from Mayfield um, and Graves County. Um, And my grandparents, they lived in downtown. They were about a quarter of a mile away from the tornado, um, the damage path. Um, my granddad said that his whole, the whole entire subdivision that they lived in, which is made of about a couple dozen houses. Um, when you get out into the main drag, um, it's pretty clear as day um, where the tornado um, went through because their subdivision was perfectly fine, but um you look to your left and you could see the, um, damage within vision. Um, and it was a pretty nasty sight to behold, um, according to him and they were out without power and without water for quite a while. Um, in terms of days, um, about a week. Um, and so, uh, my, uh, grandparents actually came to, uh, Charlotte, to seek shelter and to enjoy some actual hot water um while over here in the holiday season um but yeah they were uh they were watching the tornado as it was approaching and it, it took a lot but um once their local meteorologist told them um that the debris ball that they were seeing on the their television screen where was actual cars flying in the air um that's when they were motivated to try to seek shelter
0: so Chandler, one thing, and it's kind of been a common thread so far in this, this show, uh, we're all weather people and we was all watching um, the radar, even though we wasn't physically in Kentucky. As a meteorology student, uh, I'm sure you were probably preparing your grandparents or letting them know, hey, it's a dangerous setup. Um, you talked about local meteorologists and them. So if you don't mind, kind of tell us maybe... Was you communicating with them during this whole event, or uh, what was their story like being at Ground Zero and knowing that this this monster tornado was was bearing down on the town?
7: Right. Well, um, I'd like to like put a kind of a um precursor statement by saying hindsight's twenty twenty. My grandparents said if they were able to go back and do things again, they would do things way differently. Um, kind of more of that. Um reformative perspective that we're talking about earlier this evening. Um, But they said, um, or basically that evening, I was talking to them um, and telling them about kind of the dangerous setup and they were aware, um, which I definitely appreciated. They had the local TV meteorologist on uh, their television screen. Um, But there was that one supercell that just was persistent in Arkansas. And it was very, um, very, on target, on par with uh, Graves County. Um, and it wasn't really deviating or weakening. Um, so I was pretty concerned, um, that there could be something developed from that. I wasn't expecting it to like continue to actually be that strong, but, um, it kept on going and went into about Tennessee or well, more like Missouri and then close to Tennessee. Whenever I told my grandparents to try to, um, go ahead and like seek shelter, um, or go ahead and at least clear out a spot for shelter. Um, uh, I know that they only have a couple of closets in their house that are fully interior. And one of them has appliances in it. Um, but that that's just like most everybody in their neighborhood, if I'm being honest, they, they said they have one house in their neighborhood that has a basement everybody else's house. is pretty much the same level of construction. Um, and I'm, Just thankful that the tornado didn't wobble a few hundred feet farther north um, because we would have probably seen casualty um, tolls, uh, death tolls, and maybe close to a thousand.
0: Some great perspective about the neighborhoods and and the homes and stuff. Um, So they're in in Charlotte now, you say. um, You said kind of they were looking back, they would do things different. You know, you can't speak for your grandparents, but I'll ask you this question. Do you think, you know, next time there's a tornado threat that they'll be like, all right, we've got to take this, you know, we got to take it serious because of, of what what's happened?
7: That's exactly what they told me. Um, they said that um, they have a plan now um, for more uh, dangerous situations. They have a few family members that they can go to that are, that have a more proper Um, storm shelter um, in their homes, uh, fully interior rooms that um, are a little bit easier to seek shelter in. Um, So that's definitely one of their plans. I think they also might consider trying to get um, a storm shelter built into their um, house or into their backyard. Um, So they're definitely now taking the precautions to try to uh, minimize any more threats. Of course, it'd be great to see a more community-wide effort as well um, uh, to try to minimize the uh, threat for the whole entire community because, um, to be quite honest, you know, Tornado Alley is kind of painted as Oklahoma and Kansas, but it really is uh, Mississippi, Tennessee, and upwards of Kentucky as well, um, especially um, Nighttime Tornado Alley. I think that's what it's nicknamed.
0: Yeah, that, that's some great perspective and, and stuff that, um, you know, there's a lot of research going on now about this Tornado Alley shifting east and, and you know, lots of things going on there. So uh, Chandler, we appreciate your time. Um, I know you're doing some awesome stuff at Florida State. So if you'd like to share uh, how our followers and uh, viewers can um, join you and, and your journey there at Florida State, how can they do that?
7: Right. And, um So I'm mostly just on Twitter. So uh, Twitter I have that handle at WX Man, um, So just give me a follow there. Um, I usually just try to keep uh, uh, some weather updates flowing from my local meteorologists and from other meteorologists that I fall um, that are usually FSU
0: alum. Yeah, Chandler is a good follow, doing a lot of good stuff in tropical meteorology. Uh, Chandler, thank you for that. Stick around if you want to. We're gonna go to another break. As Chandler was talking about his family now in Charlotte because of the lack of utilities and power, we're gonna talk about uh, some issues that uh, fellow uh, uh, Kentuckians are facing right now without uh, power.
8: I'm Al Coglio, Chief of Emergency Management, Pittsburgh District Army Corps of Engineers, here today to update you on our response to the tornadoes that devastated Kentucky this past weekend. On Sunday, we deployed members of our planning and response team, along with WSP, our prime contractor, and soldiers from the 249th Engineering Battalion to Greenville, Kentucky, temporary emergency support to the people of Kentucky. We are currently on the ground, conducting assessments of critical facilities, providing temporary emergency power generation, and we are prepared to support any operational needs that are identified by the state as directed by FEMA, to support these operations. We'll provide further updates as they become available. Thank you.
9: Welcome back to the special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. I'm James Briarton. Thanks to all our guests so far and to our panelists, Scotty Powell, Dylan Hudler, and Jared Smith, who have been riding along with you. I'm James Briarton here in Charlotte. Our next guest, you've seen him before here on the Carolina Weather Group based out of Columbia, South Carolina. Chris Jackson is a storm chaser, but... He's also a trained first responder. He's been sharing some of the videos that you've been seeing tonight, and he has sent along some additional video that we'll show you now for the first time as well. Chris, welcome back to the program. And the first thing I want to ask you is is what is it like as a trained first responder being out there, capturing weather, but also being first on the scene to this heartbreaking destruction?
5: Uh, hey Jameson, thanks for having me guys. Uh... Yeah, yeah, about being a first responder. You know, you you train, you go through classes, you know, 15 years as a firefighter and you learn to be really level-headed in the midst of of big time emergencies because, uh, you know, people rely on you to get them, you know, help, safety, medical care, uh, the aid they need in in that dire situation. So the other night was really, really pressing for me because, uh, you know, it's such a widespread area of catastrophic destruction that we just you know we happened into by chance and you know there's a few people walking down the side of the road that were screaming you know and pointing towards this place that they cut calling the candle factory and at the time we had no idea what the candle factory was you know we, we didn't know if we were looking for a block building or or you know some huge amazon size warehouse well it turns out it was about in between about the size of an average walmart maybe a little bit bigger 120,000 square foot building you know and trying to keep everybody cool calm and collective especially before all the resources could get there to start a large-scale you know rescue mission was uh it was kind of tough there for a little while
9: we are taking a look at some of those visuals you shared with us here chris on the screen right now so many different scenes of heartbreak across so many different states and the nighttime the darkness played a factor into all of this. One of the pieces of video we have not yet shown that I want to show people uh, right now is what this was like at night. And this right. is actually video. This is not darkness in terms of we are rolling the video and we you are chasing this tornado here at night, relying on lightning. How, how are you, how are you my, managing my, this?
5: Right. It was lightning and power flashes. You know, that tornado... Uh, We were with it the moment it developed south of Jonesboro and we stayed with it all the way until we got into Mayfield where the devastation was just too much to, you know, we knew we had to, we had to stop the chase and help. But Tom, you know, that, that whole sequence of uh, video and pictures you're showing there, screenshots, is just in a 10 minute section on I-55 between Blythefield, Arkansas and uh, Haiti, Missouri, where the tornado actually crossed the interstate about a half quarter mile in front of us, really close. Uh, it, It was, it was incredible because there was nonstop power flashes out of my window for, for almost an hour and a half. Uh, I I still don't know if I've really understood what I saw, but I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, I can't believe that actually happened.
9: Yeah. Let me ask you about those thoughts and those feelings and that processing you're going through when you're looking through the viewfinder, what are you thinking as you're capturing these images?
5: You know, during that tornado it it was just so surreal you know, uh, I think Scotty or somebody at, you know, we were talking to one of the other guests uh, just a little while ago. And, you know, many times a tornado forecast or, or you know, what model guidance you see, re- rarely does that actually verify. You don't, you don't, you know, you usually don't see the worst of the worst of the worst. And this was the worst of the worst of the worst and being there and documenting and just, you know, focusing on getting a good frame, you know, good video, and, and just trying to have steady video that, that can be used by, you know, multiple people for, for good causes after the fact. I wasn't really thinking about it, but you know, and then you know, a couple of days after that, it started to hit me. It's like, man, there, there was a there was a, a huge wedge tornado you know, a couple of miles from me for over an hour and a half. It, it's just it's really hard to to accept the scale and scope of what this thing was.
9: I want to show one new video here real first, uh, fast before we go bring in uh, Jared Smith, and this is a a train that was knocked over on its side by the force of this tornado. Absolutely crazy imagery jared go ahead and take it from
8: here chris i just i just want to know how can you do this safely at night uh, i mean it, it's it certainly strikes me that it is a you know combination of certainly skill but i feel like there's some luck involved in this too there could be some luck
5: especially when you have those areas that are that, that maybe have poor road networks or poor visibility and poor radar coverage of that I, you know it's all three all three of them can work together against you and so sometimes, yeah, you do have to have a little bit of luck on your side. But thankfully, you know, the guys I chase with, you know, they've been chasing storms even longer, much longer than I have. Uh, all three of us collectively with our minds, we can, you know, have a healthy respect for the storm, understanding what that tornado could do to us and also anticipate the storm's motion like uh, something that hasn't been really spoken much of. But when that tornado got to Haiti, Missouri, it took a hard right turn. That's where we were closest. Um, a couple of other guys I chased with, they wanted to get a little bit closer. and let like, stop, stop, stop. Cause I, I had the only visual of it. I could see it was turning right. It was making a hard right turn. And thankfully, had we not stopped it, we, things could have gotten a little sketchy, so to speak.
9: How did you finally decide to stop at the candle factory in Mayfield? If I heard you correctly, what? Yeah,
5: yeah, James, we were going up I-69 because of course, you know, we went through Union City. By the time we got into Union City, I believe that's in Tennessee, right close to the Kentucky line. We got to Union City and by that time we needed to refuel. So we, we, we made a pit stop real quick and refueled our chase vehicle. And then, you know, we started up I-69 because the tornado was still ongoing. And, you know, we're, I'm, I'm sitting in the back seat looking at radar and the the stuff that I'm seeing is just otherworldly. You know, seeing a debris ball go to 35,000 feet with, uh, you know, a, a couplet velocity of over 200 knots. It's just the, the stuff you don't see every day. But to make a long story short, as we're getting into Mayfield, Kentucky, we knew we were going to uh, cross, cross over where the uh, tornado crossed the interstate. And as we approached Mayfield, about two miles south of the city, uh, we sure enough did. And there were huge oak trees and hickory trees, all all uh, hardwoods that had been just strewn all over the interstate. So uh, Brett Adair, my chase, one of my chase partners, he uh, he just got a suburban rhino lined and so with the suburban being rhino lined on the exterior it gave us the ability to actually drive through the top of that hickory tree then we used some chains for some truckers and we actually started yanking the trees out of the road because we didn't have a chainsaw uh, to, you know to cut the trees out of the road so we we literally hooked a chain to the forward drive suburban and started yanking the tops of the trees out the road we were able to get one lane of the interstate open which is enough for traffic to pass through but you know once we got into mayfield we just you know kind of like let's go check it out and see what's up and we got the first exit we came to And that was right there at the candle factory at US 45 and 69. And we took one turn and next thing you know, it's just for lack of better words, and part of the French all hell broke loose.
9: Chris, last question from me. What do you want the lasting impact of your photography and videography to be? Uh,
5: That's a good question James, wow. you know, take, take these images, take these photos, it, you know, of course from the photo, the photography aspect, the art aspect of it, but also, you know, when you see stuff like this at night, this is stuff that most people, they're not gonna know where to look in a storm to see it. You know, use this as motivation for others to to use, when there's a warning, think about, you know, that that's something that may be headed toward you. And, and so there are people he, out there that's go, trying go, go, to go, go, document this stuff to maybe improve, to get to one person that improves the, the warning process that makes them take a the warning more seriously in the, in the future.
0: So, Chris, um, man, <laughs> I've been on a storm chase with you. You're one of the best. Um, you've chased, I don't know how many events. When Chris Jackson hangs up his chaser hat, is this going to be the most memorable one for you?
5: Uh, I hope so. And I, and I, and I say that as a double-edged sword. I hope so from the standpoint that I hope there's not one worse, but also I don't hope so because, uh, well, let's just say, yeah, I hope so. Cause uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but I mean, I hope there's never a tornado like that ever again. Uh, you know, Scotty, I, I took you chasing back. I think it's 2019. And we, 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 saw a big wedge tornado out in Kansas and, and there was a beautiful tornado. It did a little bit of damage, but it didn't hurt anybody. It didn't kill anybody and stuff like this is just, it's heartbreaking to see. And, as much as most storm chasers, meteorologists love weather, you never want to see the, the bad side of the impacts that weather can do. And unfortunately, this is exactly what happened across uh, many portions of the Mid-Mississippi Valley. I got I
0: to gotta say, this guy right here, when we were going on that storm chase, he he texted me and Evan, and he said, bring your work gloves, keep your emotions in check because you may see things you don't want to see. Thankfully, we didn't, but unfortunately, on this event, you did, Chris, and we appreciate your good work out in the field.
5: I... Just another day.
9: Chris, we've got your social media handle there on the screen. Chris Jackson SC on Twitter is where people can find you and follow along on. All your chase. It's uh
5: yeah, I appreciate it, James. And one more thing for our hop off here. Sure. You're talking about the train cars at the, at the top. Um, the, I, I saw in the damage assessment toolkit from the national weather service and their storm survey. And and I actually talked to a CSX line supervisor out there, but he wanted to be off the record and I understand that. So we ain't gonna name drop but. You know, the, the t- there was a 55 uh, foot long uh, tanker car, like you put oil or fuel oil, you know, the big black tankers. Yeah, right there. Where that thing is sitting is where it landed. It actually picked it up and threw it. And so when you start throwing rail cars, at, you know, it's a violent tornado.
9: Absolutely. and. You know, we are we are looking at material items here, but there is a crew that is associated with this railroad operation. Some of the many people, countless people who are out just trying to work or going about their lives on this uh, destructive day. And these these images are are heartbreaking. And
5: right. And one one last thing, James, The, the CSX line supervisor we were talking to. He said the conductor and the engineer were in the were in the locomotive. About a half a mile north of this was where the locomotive was. They were actually stopped up underneath a kind of like a big trussle overpass from from the road. I think it's US fifty four. I think, but the the and the conductor and the engineer actually told the the, their boss that it felt like the train was getting pulled backwards by the tornado
9: as it hit the tracks. And you're right. These things are not light by any means. Uh, We are glad that they are able to tell their story, and we appreciate you coming on, Chris, to tell your story uh, with us here tonight. Coming up next here on the special edition of the Carolina Weather Group, we are going to check in with our friends at the Sirens Project. You've seen them before, Georgia-based storm responders. You'll hear from them coming up after this. A reminder that you can help the people impacted by this tornado outbreak. Information is scrolling at the bottom of your screen, or if you're listening to our audio podcast, you can find links to donate to Samaritan's Purse, a North Carolina-based organization, and others in the description of tonight's show. Another way to help is by finding local Ways, local drives to donate to and that's exactly what was happening in Catawba County this story courtesy of our friend Brendan Goldner at WCNC Charlotte
10: triple community volunteer fire department is busier than usual. You're wonderful. We appreciate it. As the homeowners who these firefighters serve volunteer their money to buy supplies for Kentucky families who need help following those devastating tornadoes. This $100 box of toiletries is Connie Anderson's Christmas gift.
5: I've been blessed this year. My family decided that we weren't going to give Christmas presents to each other and that we would all do something for somebody else. This is my doing something for somebody else.
10: Lieutenant Kelly Michaels and some of his fellow firefighters were planning to visit friends in Eastern Kentucky when the tornado struck. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. So we had decided that, yes, we're still going on vacation, but we went from a pleasure vacation to a working vacation. While they wait to find out if they'll be allowed to assist in the search and rescues, they still plan on going to at least donate all of these supplies they and neighbors like Anderson have collected, including a generator and an industrial fan. The response has been absolutely amazing. This wasn't filled when I left to go to Hickory this morning. When I come back, someone had already dropped off other things they're hoping to get more diapers before they leave the kind anderson brought to the firefighters
5: i think it's amazing i'm so glad
9: they decided to do that
10: but before they head out of town they still have emergency calls to go to in town in morganton brandon goldner wcnc charlotte
0: all right i appreciate brandon uh giving that information Uh, for some volunteer firefighters here uh, in the foothills. So uh, I want to bring in Warren Causey. Uh, He is uh, head of the Sirens Project. And they are, excuse me, a uh, nonprofit-based storm recovery. Excuse me, I feel like I got something stuck in my throat there. A storm recovery uh, uh, company that that is really, Warren, you guys are going out and really ministering to folks who has um, has really just seen it all. And and so I guess, you know, our, our first question to you is tell us the followers and the listeners uh, if they don't know about Sirens Project, kind of what you guys do and then about uh, how you guys decided to deploy uh, to Kentucky.
6: Yeah, so uh, Sirens Project is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. And uh, basically, we're, you know, we're just dedicated to assisting local communities, other nonprofits and uh, local authorities um, during times of natural disaster. Um, we do that through uh, supplies. Uh, volunteers and special equipment. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a storm chaser at heart. I've uh, had the opportunity to chase with Chris Jackson. Um, and we, uh, we ran into a tornado in Louisiana um, a couple of years back and it was, uh, you know, it's, it's always pretty exciting, especially when no one gets uh, injured or hurt. Uh, but yeah, I'm a storm chaser at heart and uh, basically keep track of the weather and uh, ongoing systems very much like this one um, in hopes that we don't have to deploy, but we always uh, want to maintain, um, you know, a poised position in case we have to. And so, uh, knew this coming in a couple of days before the event that it was going to be a pretty rowdy time uh, for the atmosphere. Uh, and when it went moderate, you know, day of, um, it was, uh, you know, I don't know, you just have, you kind of had a weird feeling about this one, um, especially uh, being December and so, you know, so warm. Uh, for the for the time, uh, it was just kind uh, kind of unnerving, and so watched it uh, live as the event unfolded. You know, through uh, through Twitter and uh, just uh, on the radar scope, and also keeping uh, keeping up with what Chris uh, Chris Jackson was seeing on the ground too. You know, we utilize as a nonprofit, we utilize uh, what storm chasers are seeing in the field to kind of uh, tailor what our response is going to be, where we're going to respond, what we're going to respond with, and uh, just you know, other types of things that we'll need to bring into the field and be thinking about ahead of time. And so um, the night that it happened, I mean, just after seeing multiple communities just get absolutely hammered uh, by this long track tornado, it was it was a no-brainer that we were going to be out there, um, you know, in the next couple of days. And so uh, we partner partnered with uh, a lot of other organizations such as uh, Inspiritus and Reach Out Worldwide. And I kind of keep you know, kind of keep them up to date on uh, what we're thinking about and kind of the situation as it unfolds. And so it was a pretty unanimous decision, you know, that we were all going to be going out there. And so uh, we just got our team together, uh, started working on uh, supplies, as well as uh, getting our Sawyer team uh, coordinated, as well as some heavy equipment operators to start heading towards Kentucky.
0: So when, uh, when did you guys, I, I guess, kind of give us a timeline, uh, this all happened Friday, I'm assuming Saturday, you kind of trying to get things together. Did you guys head out the first of the week or how's that?
6: Yeah, we, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of interesting because we all still have full time jobs, you know, we're a pretty small organization getting off the ground. So we kind of have to work around that, but, uh, we were able to get up to, uh, Murray, Kentucky on Monday where uh, Inspiritus had kind of already set up lodging and everything at Murray First Baptist, which is only about a 30 minute drive, um, you know, from, from Mayfield, from Benton, uh, then about an hour and 10 minute drive from Dawson Springs and uh, also about a 45 minute drive from uh, uh, Dresden, Tennessee, you know, that took a huge hit from a a separate tornado and um, it was kind of the, you know, the perfect place. So we arrived up there Monday and um, you know, Tuesday is when we really started started doing work, and we went into uh, the Benton uh, area. I think it's Marshall County, and we uh, kind of just made contact with Marshall County EMA and uh, the fire department there, and uh, they started kind of giving us street names uh, that needed to be uh, cleared and uh, just homes along the streets uh, that possibly needed assistance, and so that's where we got to work first. Um, I think it was a Bondurant road and then Oak Shadow Lane and Carousel Lane just west of Benton near uh, I-69 and that's where we started doing a lot of our operations and there we cleared um, four houses in that neighborhood uh, from hazardous uh, debris and trees. We did a lot of technical tree felling to kind of mitigate any hazards um, from those trees so homeowners could return to their home and kind of operate safely and uh, we even helped uh, remove a tree that was on a house. And we had sawyers inside the house helping cut the tree free and had our heavy equipment, um, you know, assisting there. And uh, from there, we went to uh, Dresden, Tennessee, because we were having a little hard time getting plugged in in Dawson Springs, uh, which is where we wanted to go next. Um, so we spent two days in Dresden. Um you know, just doing the same thing, mitigating hazards, clearing roads, uh, that sort of thing. And that's when our supply train really started getting, uh, getting some momentum. Uh, our local news picked us up and uh, we started getting supply donations like crazy at our church. And we ended up having to utilize an 18-wheeler to go deliver those supplies to a uh, small distribution facility in Dresden. Uh, but then after that, uh, the next day, we were able to get into uh, Dawson Springs Cleared about five homes on that road. Um, there was five fatalities actually on that road that we were working, and one still missing. And uh, unfortunately, uh, actually while we were working, probably about uh, three hundred yards from our location or so, the uh, the fire department there actually recovered the last missing uh, person uh, from from that area. And it was uh, it was pretty pretty sobering for sure. You know, being working in this neighborhood and just uh, connecting with the homeowners and being there for them, you know, while their community is very much still in a kind of search and rescue kind of mode. So um, it was pretty wild.
0: Man. um oh, gosh. I can't imagine being on the same area and then recovering a body. Um, Chris kind of hit on this um, talking about his chase. He was there um, as the event was going on. Um, so he saw the emotions pour out of people who were affected you there a couple of days later, I guess people kind of, are out of the shock phase and kind of now just come to realization of what has really happened. Um, any, any stories or any, anything like that people told you that kind of just resonate with you?
6: Yeah, I think, uh, coming in, you know, a couple of days later that the stories really start to start to develop as far as, uh, people who, have, who survived, um, on Bondurant uh, road, we, uh, we encountered a, a homeowner named Carl who only had the, uh, had the only site built home in the entire community. There's about five other manufactured homes in this valley. And about 10 minutes before the tornado hit, um, all 18 people in that small community got in the basement of that, uh, that site built home. And it was, uh, I mean, that was, that was the decision that absolutely saved their life. I mean, you can just see the incredible devastation, not, not a single home except for that one, one house um, survived that tornado. And uh, had they not made that decision 10 minutes prior to uh, when the tornado, you know, got to their location, it would have been a very different outcome. And so that was a pretty incredible, incredible story uh, to, to, to hear and to witness. Um, and on um, Oak Shadow Lane this <laughs> insane. I actually got a picture uh, of this. There was a little cubby hole stairwell area on this, uh, on this home, site-built home, really, really well-constructed home. Um, and, uh, this woman ended up surviving by crawling under these, uh, under these stairs and was actually on the phone with her husband when it happened and he was out of town and all he heard was screaming and, uh, you know, just destruction happening all around and the phone went dead and he, uh, you know, he rushed home. He was out completely out of state and rushed home to, uh, to fortunately find his, his wife, um you know, still living. And uh it was it's pretty it was pretty incredible. I mean it was just uh had she chose another part of that house uh you know the outcome would absolutely be different. Um so it's just little details like that that kind of you know remind you you know why why we're helping in the recovery process and uh just makes you super thankful for for what you have, you know, currently. So it's always a great reminder.
8: My goodness that remarkable. That's remarkable. Uh, Warren, you know, when we came on the show with us a few years ago, you know, you all, you all were flying drones into storms. Um, and now, yeah. you know, you've uh, transitioned to more of a uh, recovery operation. Tell us a little bit about that transition.
6: Yeah, um, I think everybody kind of, you know, whoever's been following us for a couple of years um, knew that we were developing drones to fly in and around severe weather. This is a fixed wing aircraft um, in order to uh, gather, you know, data to, like Relative humidity, uh, barometric pressure, temperature—you know that sort of thing. Wind speed and direction, um, and so doing that for a couple of years, you know, we always kind of, kind of like just chasers in general. We always witness these catastrophic events when they happen because you you tend to be a little bit closer than uh, than most people, and so um, you know, just just leaving those areas um, never really sat well with us, and uh, we decided to kind of take our our mission into a different direction. You know, we still have the drone capabilities um, that we would use um, now for for mapping disaster zones. You know, in smaller communities that might that might need that kind of uh, capability. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, one of those things that tugs at your heart, and you can't ignore that. And so we uh, acted on it, and we pivoted, as a, as a popular word in our organization, and uh, pivoted into disaster response. And that's uh, that's where that's where we call home now, and that's where we're going to continue to go.
0: So cool. So so cool, Scotty. Yeah, well, you know, great stuff you guys are doing, Warren. Um, for our followers uh, who are watching tonight, for the listeners on the podcast, um, can how can they help you guys out? I mean, I, I know you guys are a nonprofit, so you, you're always looking for uh, for ways to uh, sustain what you're doing. So, uh, you have any uh, websites, social links that that they can click on and kind of help contribute to you all?
6: yeah we uh so, you know you can go to sirensproject.org um, you can donate there um you know every every donation is hundred percent tax deductible um, and uh, we're also on Twitter and facebook at sirens project also have youtube but you know this is uh something we're doing on the side right now um, but we're really hoping and kind of gearing uh, into as, as we go into 2022 to make this uh you know really a full-time thing for uh, for the organization, uh, so we can continue to impact uh, more communities. You know, we have a lot of specialized uh, volunteers. So you know, like like Chris Jackson's a first responder. You know, we have a lot of first responders, uh, firefighters, veterans, a lot of people that bring a lot of uh, you know specialized skills to the table, and they're just looking to serve. And so we like to plug those types of people, you know, into these communities. And we really just uh, appreciate everyone who volunteers. And so if anybody's interested in volunteering. Um, that might have a special skill set or or anything like that. You know, they can share their information with us on our website as well.
0: Well, Warren, thank you for all you guys are doing. Uh, we appreciate uh, you being with us. I know it's been a crazy time for you. I uh, appreciate what you're doing up in Kentucky and uh, keep us informed with uh, with what's all going on with you all.
6: Absolutely, I really uh really honored to be a part of the uh, the show and thanks for having me. I look forward to being with you guys again.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have to catch back up for sure. Uh, And we want to thank you all for watching us here at the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, Thank you. Hope you uh, learned something from this show. Um, In fact, just texting Dylan here off the screen. Um, I learned a lot from this show. I think from listening to all this experience, and I know we're wanting to wrap, but I'd love to open this up to everyone uh, if you don't don't mind, James. Um, I've learned that the messaging was great for this storm. It seemed like the message got out there. It almost seemed like that this was the perfect storm, uh, and the infrastructure just wasn't wasn't ready for for what we were seeing. And um, I think that's why the casualty totals may be up there. And um, you know, it just it brings it back home to the Carolinas because this too can happen where we live here in the Carolinas. And there's a lot of homes that may not have that underground serve place to go and seek shelter at. So it's important to have that plan. Uh, So, if this was to ever happen in your area, uh, you need to find that that safe place to be. So, uh, I don't know if anybody wants to comment on that, but kind of just what I took away from this event.
8: Weather radios.
0: I'll I'll touch on real quick,
5: Scotty. Uh, Go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry.
8: Uh, Yeah, you're good. Weather radios in every home. Yeah, that's critical. Wireless emergency alerts. I'm so don't disable them. Keep them, you know, nearby. Um, Knowing that place ahead of time and and being, you know, in the case of uh, the the lady with the uh, staircase, being, you know, ready to go and and uh, you know thinking fast sometimes can be a, a big help. It, just knowing the threat, staying weather aware, listening to your local meteorologists, listening to the, the credible people because they're because again you're gonna nine times out of ten you're gonna get hype mongers and fear mongers and you don't want that either. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think a lot can come away from this, uh, with a storm like this, we're going to have major problems. EF4 damage, the, what we saw, you know, we are gonna have major problems. I think there's gonna be a lot of discussions in the ensuing months about building codes. There's uh, gonna be uh, many discussions about, you know, what was going on in those factories, um, you know, why didn't people get the warnings? I think that that is going to be a big discussion as well. Um, Certainly nothing that we have time uh, for on this show, but that's a whole other discussion uh, that needs to take place. Um, And so, yeah, it really brings it home. You know, when we tell you, you know, keep your, keep your radios on at night on, uh, on those nights when we think that something might be bad, it may not necessarily be this, but it doesn't necessarily have to be this to be super disruptive.
7: I would also probably add um, to that um, probably one of the biggest messages that kind of came across um, my vision whenever uh, just interacting with my grandparents and like with other people um, from Mayfield is uh, a lot of people were weather aware, but they weren't weather prepared. Um, it goes with that infrastructure idea of, um, you know, not having the right uh, housing, um, because at least with my grandparents, the house that they, um, live in is a very modern, um, contemporary kind of house. That's basically every single room touches an exterior wall. Um, every single, um, room has windows and glass. Uh, it's the worst house. And whenever I first visited the house, I immediately said this, this is like the worst house for storm shelter. My parents said the same thing. Um, and, uh, I identified a couple of closets that were eligible um, for like seeking storm shelter, but one of them, uh, the doors wouldn't close and the other one had appliances in it um, that you really couldn't remove easily. Um, so it's not exactly like either of those closets were ideal either. Um, and they weren't too terribly great anyway. Um, but it's just, there's a lot of houses like that. There's very few houses with basements and very few houses with storm shelters, if um, really any in Mayfield. Um, And so people, while they might have been aware, they just didn't have um, a place to go seek shelter Um, because those, those Mayfield uh, TV meteorologists really gave a lot of um, them. And the NWS Paducah, they gave a lot of, Warning uh, in advance before the supercell um, came along. I mean, it was it was chugging at the same uh, heading for about an hour um, beforehand, and it was pretty clear what was um, about to happen. Um, and my grandparents knew, but uh, they didn't know how to prepare.
5: Yeah, and I'll, I'll follow up with that. You know, just like everybody else has said, have multiple ways to get weather alerts. And, and you know, for the folks at home or maybe watching. That don't understand weather alerts. If you get that that wireless emergency notification on your phone, like Jared was alluding to, or your weather radio goes off, there's a reason behind that. Especially on the on the, the wireless GPS based alerts. You know, the National Weather Service and they draw that that tornado warning in, in their software and they issue that warning. They're drawing it for the area the tornado goes to. You know, in years past, it's been by the entire county. That's not the case anymore. If they're drawing that box with you in the path of that box, you should absolutely be seeking. You know, shelter and like uh, I believe those just talked about, you know, having a plan, having a plan in place is the best offense for a defense of this tornado. Um, That's the best advice I could ever give to anybody.
2: Those weather radio notifications and wireless phone alerts for those severe weather alerts, tornado warnings, things like that. Don't view them as an annoyance. Don't view them as a loud, annoying sound that you just want to turn off and never hear again. They're going off. And they're making those noises for a reason. They're a sign that action needs to be taken. And then you need to pay attention to the weather and take uh, action that's, that's according to the situation. So those are there to help prevent loss of life and save yours. And you should remember to treat them that way.
0: So Well, guys, we appreciate your time. Uh, Chris, Warren, Chandler, Andrew. Bryce, uh, all of our guests tonight. Uh, we appreciate your time and we want to send everyone our thoughts and prayers who've been affected by this. And I know it's a tough time with it being the holidays. Um, but, uh, just know that we're thinking of you all. And, and, if you, um, can please help one of these organizations that we featured tonight and, um, help them out because it's helping a good cause. So for everyone here at the Carolina weather group for Dylan, for Chris, uh, for Jared, For uh, James, I'm Scotty. You guys have a great evening. Have a great Christmas, and we'll see you back here real soon.